Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi there, everybody, and thanks for listening to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The times, they are a-changing. Okay. <laughs> Anything in particular that made you say that? Just kind of a social change thing. I see what you're getting at. Chris and I decided that we wanted to talk about something that uh, the two of us are are very interested in. Um, I'm, I've written about this quite a bit in the blogs. Uh, blogs.howstuffworks.com. And um, it's something that I continue to really be interested in. And it's the whole concept of social networking and social change. Mm-hmm. All right. Because increasingly we're seeing social networking becoming an important part of uh, social activities throughout the, the population, the, especially in the Western world. Um, the The over in Asia, it's a little harder for us to tell just because, you know, we, we don't have that experience, but we see a lot of people using sites like Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, Orkut, even that kind of stuff to sort of, uh, uh keep touch with friends, uh, pass information along, make recommendations to one another, um, even share links. Like we're starting to see social networking become just as important in a way as search engines. Yeah. People are discovering content by seeing what their friends suggest. And I know this might actually surprise some people because a lot of people, for example, with Twitter, when it first came out, the question on the homepage was, you know, what are you you doing? And people say, well, I don't really want to visit a site in which I have to read about everyone going to the bathroom and making a sandwich. Finding the remote, looking for their shoes. I am tying my shoe. Duct taping yeah, the Jack Russell Terrier to the wall. <laughs> it gets kind of slow on the weekends, is all I'm saying. Oh, okay, okay. But but the thing is, I mean, and, and that, and, and when I wrote uh, that post about Facebook Lite on the blogs, blogs.howstuffworks.com, um, you know, we got a lot of feedback from people who didn't like it because they couldn't get to their applications. They wanted to play Lexulus. They wanted to, you know, get into Farmville and they do all that stuff. And they couldn't, and you can't do that on Facebook right, Lite. Right, right. Cause Facebook Lite is a stripped down version of the site yeah. where you're just getting essentially status updates. So, you know, you might be thinking, well, these sites are, are really just for play. And a lot of people do use them for that, but, um, they also enable a kind of communication in a broader forum that 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 also makes it possible to do things like, uh, you know, organize a, a, I mean, even for fun, organize a flash mob. Yep. You know, and yeah, you uh, might just want to get a group together to to do a goofy little fake pillow fight in the middle of uh, of downtown New York or something. Yeah. Or or uh, organize a tweet up and say, you know, hey, I'm at Joe's bar down on 14th Street, and have random people who happen to be in the area drop in and go, hey, you know, yeah, nice to meet you. I'm Twitter. You know, this is me. But you can also utilize these same social networking tools to try and affect a change where you're trying to to either get a message across so that you're trying to to raise awareness or you're actually trying to change something specifically. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to kind of talk about how people have used social networking to attempt this and whether or not it's been successful. And I would argue that in large part uh, – Actually, making a change has not been that successful through social networking, but that's mainly because 
I don't know that anyone has necessarily figured out the best way of doing it yet. Everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, last year, uh, I wrote a blog post about uh, Moldova because some people were trying to hold a protest and the mm-hmm. government was, uh, let's just say, not too thrilled about it. Um, and then it was it was a little violent, as I remember, but, you know, not like the uh, the Iran situation, which we'll mention in a moment. Yep. Um, but people were using their uh, Twitter and Facebook statuses to indicate where they should meet. And it's very difficult for those who are not tuned in, if the authorities are not paying attention to it, um, it is very difficult for them to figure out how hundreds of people are leaving the scene before they can get there and reassembling at another location, which has been organized, you know, using these networks. Right. And I mean, it could also be done uh, over SMS, text yep. messaging uh, over your phone. Which is, you know, that's essentially what Twitter is built on top of. But yes, you could do it on a much more uh, a scaled down version where you just take Twitter out of the equation entirely. And in some cases, that's actually a good idea because if you have left your Twitter account public, then anyone could see what you are updating um, just by following the public timeline, even if they're not following you specifically. And before <laughs> long, people in charge may actually or the, the people who oppose whatever your position is uh, could end up keeping up with you and every move you make and because you're essentially broadcasting it. And if they're able to keep up with it, then they're able to possibly negate whatever move you want to make. And then you're back to square one. So, um, yeah, there's some downfalls to this kind of uh, approach of using social networking to to um, organize protests, which we really saw in Iran. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of the things before we get to that, uh, one of sure. the things that makes this possible is um, and this is not even a Twitter adaptation. This is something that other people came up with uh, is the use of the hashtag. Mm-hmm. Um, you might say, well, if thousands of people are posting Twitter messages, how, you know, in the public timeline, how am I supposed to figure out what's going on in, you know, this particular situation? Well, people have taken to using hashtags, which is, uh, using the pound sign, uh, the number sign or the octothorpe, as I like to use it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, establishing a particular tag so that everybody is putting that particular string of text in their Twitter messages. It makes it much easier to search. Yes, and most uh, Twitter programs that I've seen lately, third third party programs, allow you to track um, those trending topics. Mm-hmm. So you can see if a lot of people are are mentioning, including this tag, then uh, it is very easy to identify what's going on uh, with a particular so so bleh, excuse me social situation, and um, you can you can follow it very very easily. And another thing that people have been doing, uh, which is one of those those gestures that you can uh, very quickly identify as, okay, something's going on because everyone seems to be doing this, would be uh, changing our avatar. Yes. Uh, on Twitter, this mm-hmm. became th- – there are two instances I can think of on Twitter where this really kind of swept across the service, at least the people I follow. Uh, one was the blackout in response to Australia's – um, policy oh, yes. to mm-hmm. filter the internet. Now, in this case, Australia was talking about uh, creating a law that would allow um, the the government to tell internet service providers um, what they can and can't let through the country. And it it was getting to a level of censorship and and information control that a lot of people were not very comfortable with. Internet service providers they weren't very comfortable with it. I mean, these are private companies that are 
being told by the government what they can and can't do as far as uh, their main business. Um, and as a response, in order to raise awareness, uh, people began to turn their, their Twitter avatars into just a black square. And, uh, you know, at first that just got a little bit of attention, but then some pretty high ranking as far as uh, followers go, Twitter members began to do this, like Stephen Fry, who has hundreds of thousands of people following him. He blacked out his avatar and then left a message about what was going on. And then you started seeing black avatars pop up all over the place, just just black boxes. And that's all that was there was to it. And then usually there'd be a link somewhere like, why is my avatar like this? Read this. And it would link to an article about the situation. Uh, as a result, um, uh, the whole policy got a lot of attention directed toward it. And they ended up delaying that decision. Um, the last I had heard, that decision actually did go through. But it went through ages after the first um, discussion. So it was something where the, the reaction did kind of cause some change. But it was uh, it was more of a delay than anything else. Uh, but the other case where people changed their avatar that was very uh, – got they ended up making the news. It was more than just – Something that happened on Twitter uh, was the Iranian election and the fallout that followed it. Um, you began to see people change their avatars where they would give them all a green tint. Yes, uh, some people would uh, replace their avatar with a simple green square, as in the case of the blackout. But others were uh, – mo- I think most people were, were tinting a, yeah, their, their avatars, filter. which yeah. is uh, which is what I saw the most frequently. And the idea, and they were also uh, going in to change their settings – to the time zone uh, where Tehran is located, which is the capital of Iran. And um, the idea would was twofold, really, to show support for the Iranian protesters, but also to theoretically confuse the government uh, using the, the hashtag and the time zone to make it appear as though uh, there were more people involved than actually were and to maybe uh, mask the identities of those who were involved. Um, at least that was the uh, justification that that I was reading about, and many people are still uh, still have not changed their avatars back to their original state, even though those uh, uh, revolts were taking place last summer. Yeah, this was back in the June mid, or July, right? Yeah, mid mid two thousand nine. Uh, yeah. Depending, on people listen way way after the fact. So uh, so yeah, the uh, and <sighs> this was one of those things where. It definitely helped raise awareness very quickly. Um, and some people were using Twitter and Facebook to try and organize meetups. But then quickly there was a, a message that went around saying, you know, you probably shouldn't um, publish this stuff because then it just gives the information to the Iranian government, which was monitoring both Facebook and Twitter as much as it could to try and determine what protesters were up to and what their plans were uh, so that they could have a, a response unit in place um, to take care of, uh, to, to take care of that without it getting out of control. Mm-hmm. And in, and there were also reports, uh, well, I don't know if they were ever substantiated, but there were reports that the Iranian government was actually publishing its own tweets as if it were, they were coming from protesters to try uh-huh. and spread misinformation, confuse matters, 
um, to uh, to kind of take some of the steam out of the movement so that it wouldn't be as effective. And that's one of the big issues about social networking is that when it gets into something like this, when it's really highly politicized, it's hard to tell if the information you're receiving is genuine or not without it without it linking to some other objective source that you know for a fact has got really good fact-checking, really uh, strong editorial voice. Um, without that kind of link back to, to something that you can rely upon, you have to worry that maybe whatever it is you're reading isn't completely genuine. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's the case with anything you see on any social networking site, but in particular when it's talking about something like trying to make a, a big change. Well, um, I think speaking of change, we should talk about the social media event that's going on right now okay. as we are recording that because, um, this is a, another particularly positive way I think that social media is maybe drawing attention to and helping organize, uh, efforts to um, help the people in Haiti. Uh, just a few days before we recorded this podcast, um, there was a magnitude 7 earthquake um, that killed thousands and thousands of people. And, Injured uh, thousands engines, more. Thousands more. Um, Infrastructure in Haiti is, is in ruins right now. Yeah, and um, it, it's actually only a couple days after that as we are recording this. So um, as of January 14th, this is an amazing thing. Um the American Red Cross was able to report that it had raised $4.7 million simply from people who were text messaging. And you might say, well, how are they doing that? Well, there's a company um, called MGIV. Um, the president, Tony Aiello, was actually talking to Laura Seidel on NPR uh, as I was driving home yesterday. I listened to their um, his explanation of things. Um, this is a pretty neat deal. Um, you, you get a, a code, a text messaging code, um, five-digit number. And um, you send uh, a short message to that number, and basically what happens is MGIV works with the phone company, your your cell phone provider, and the uh, nonprofit organization, in this case, the American Red Cross, or there are a couple others, uh, Wyclef Jean has one. Yep. Um, and uh, once what happens is if you send a text message to that number with the, uh, the pre-organized message, they will take – uh, $10 donation and debit that to your cell phone account. That's, that's in the case of the Red Cross one. I, I think, uh, Wycliffe Johns, it's $5. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's the same, same concept. So true. it's whatever, whatever they've agreed to. I mean, it tends to be around the five to $10 mark because that's, a, that's an amount that most people are comfortable giving. Um, you ask for more than that and it gets a little more complex. Although the Red Cross one allows you to give up to three times using that number. Oh, okay. So okay. you can, you could give, uh, $30 if you wanted to using that. Um, so that, uh, I mean, and of course you, this doesn't prevent you from donating in other ways as well. It's just one of those things that makes it very, very easy to react in a very timely manner without it, without it taking a lot of time or effort on your part. I know it sounds kind of callous, but I really do believe that the easier you make it to donate to a cause, the more people will donate. As soon as you start putting barriers in there where uh, like, okay, well, as soon as you get home, call this number or as soon as you get home, log into this website. Mm -hmm. Once you start putting that time 
difference in there from the moment when someone hears about something to the moment when someone can do something about it. Right. You cut down on participation. Well, well, this is exactly what uh, Mr. Aiello was saying, that it, it's just making it very, very simple. And they had interviews with a couple people who had been making donations. One guy they talked to um, had received a message on his cell phone and said, well, you know, this is so easy. I'm just going to reply uh, right away and do this. Mm-hmm. And it just it was just very, very simple, very, very easy. The $10 amount, uh, Mr. Aiello said, um, is a very uh, it's the same kind of thing. $10 doesn't really seem like all that much. Right. But it makes a difference for people yep. who might not have otherwise donated. When you it's get very to simple, it's very affordable. When you get to $4.7 that's – I mean because, yeah, $10 not, is not a lot for any individual. But when, when you get such an effective campaign together, mm-hmm. uh, collectively, that does become a, a – a pretty large sum of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Kerry Hausman, who is a, a spokesperson for the American Red Cross, said that um, based on how effective this is, she expects that this is going to make real lasting change in the way that uh, they are able to raise money in the wake of uh, a tragedy like this because um, it's just so simple yeah, that, I, that it happened. I'm hoping that this does I, – I hope that's the case. I hope it's not the opposite where it becomes like a unique event where people do this because it makes them feel good and then the next time something happens, they say, well, I don't need to donate to that because I donated back when, after the earthquake in Haiti. So why would I – You know, I don't need to donate again. Um, hopefully that won't happen, especially because, like you were saying, I mean, it, it makes it so much easier. Um, it removes those barriers. It's not asking for a lot of money, and in many cases, this this money is, you know, that's it's going to causes that are vital for people's survival. So, mm-hmm. well, um, you know, there is such a thing as donor fatigue. Yes, um, yes. but but um, no, I, I think, and and of course, MGive did not pop up mysteriously overnight after the, the uh, Haiti disaster. So th- this is something that, that has been going on for some time, and this just puts it in the spotlight. But um, there, there are other ways in which social media has helped. Um, having the meme spread through Facebook and having a link say, you know, it explains, here's what's going on. You can donate to CARE or the American Red Cross right. or one of many other organizations just click here and it takes you right to the page it's right there in your live feed and makes it so much easier to right. to identify and same, share with other same people same thing with twitter i mean twitter really helped broadcast the whole text message thing quite a bit cuz i mean if we're just talking about text messaging we're not really talking about social media right there or social networking uh beyond networking with your immediate social circle but uh there were so many people who were talking about it on twitter that it was trending then, right. and uh, that helped quite a bit too. I'm sure that that really gave a boost to the um, to uh, submissions of, of, of the you know the ten dollar donations. Well, um, actually, getting back to how easy this is, but back to an, a point that you made earlier, um, Caroline McCarthy at CNET mm-hmm. had uh, has also written an article in which she was uh, she had talked to the marketing director for Charity Navigator, which is a website. Um, that basically evaluates nonprofit organizations and non-governmental organizations, uh, you know, based on where's the money going? Um, can you count on it actually being used to help the people in whatever situation you want to help them? Right. In? How much of it is going toward administrative costs? Yeah. How, how reputable is this charity? Yeah. It's, very important questions to ask. And it's a very, it's a very neat site. Uh, but the director, uh, marketing director, Sandra Minuti, uh, said that 4,000 bogus donation sites were set up after Hurricane Katrina. Right. 
Um, and it's, so it's very important to make sure that where you're making your donation, um, you know, is actually ending up where you think it is going. And it's very easy with things like URL shorteners and, you know, five digit codes, uh, that you would text message to make sure that you are getting it from a reputable source and then you're actually making a donation at the site you think you're doing that because, right. uh, you know, it is very easy for a scammer to set up a site to try to fool people. And you can bet that they will do that in this case as on, well. On a related note, I noticed already that there are Facebook groups popping up where it's saying things like, if a million people join this group, I will donate a dollar per person for, uh, to Haiti or whatever. Right. A lot of those end up being bogus. It's just someone who's creating a group and wants to see if they can maybe actually get to a million people. Um, it's, those are a lot harder to, to research than yes. the charities because, uh, you know, often you don't have any real information about the people who started it. I would just recommend that maintain a healthy dose of skepticism whenever you encounter those kind of groups, especially if they want you to go to a different link, because that's a good chance that that's going to take you somewhere where there's some malware or a phishing scam or something like that. Um, I always hesitate to join any sort of Facebook group, uh, mainly for that reason. I, I, I would rather look into alternatives uh, it's not that I don't want to help. It's that I want to make sure that my help is going to the right place and that I'm not going to suffer for helping, trying to help someone else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any group where you see like, join this group and after we hit a million users, we get to, you know, th- this much is going to be donated. Because honestly, why would someone put that kind of, of, uh, uh, of a requirement there? Mm-hmm. Isn't that, isn't that really ultimately heartless to say, I need a million people to join this group, and if a million people join, I'll donate this money. Why? Why not just donate the money now without a million people joining? Uh, what benefit is there to have a million people join the group? I mean, there's no reason for it. So once you start asking those questions, critical thinking is so important on the Internet, folks, and especially when you're talking about things about trying to make a social change because everyone wants the world to be a better place, and we all want to feel like we've contributed to that, but – Let's make sure that we're really contributing to that. We're not just fooling ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that kind of I, – I don't know if you wanted to mention anything more before I moved on, but there was one other kind of related thing to this that yeah. I was going to go off on. Well, I was going to uh, to mention that uh, Caroline McCarthy said that if you receive an email from someone claiming that they are a victim, that's also sort of a red flag. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you, you know, that hey, I, I, my, my house got – uh, destroyed in this problem. Yeah, you know. it's essentially a, a uh, twist on the Nigerian scam. Yeah, it's, it really it's, is, which has been around forever. I mean, that that's that was fax stuff before it was email. So, um, I wanted to mention another thing that happened recently on Facebook, mm-hmm. which drives me crazy. Uh oh, which is the Facebook bra color deal. Okay. So if you were on Facebook and you're a guy. And you notice that all your female friends were posting colors and you were wondering why and you never found out. Um, it was, uh, it was kind of this playful way of raising awareness for breast cancer research. Mm-hmm. Um, women were posting the color of their, the, the bra they were wearing, uh, as their status. So you might see one that says blue or, or black or white lace or something like that. And then eventually you start to put it together and you're like, Oh, that's odd. And there was no explanation at the time why they were posting these colors. Now, that's problem number one. If you don't explain why you're doing something, how can you raise awareness? 
Okay. Problem number one. If you, if there is no explanation, you are not raising awareness. All you're doing is being kind of flirtatious by saying, Ooh, look at my, my, the color of my under things that you cannot see. They are actually black and blue. Doesn't make a damn bit of difference, people. Part two, breast cancer. We're pretty much aware of it. Turns out everyone has heard of this. Breast cancer awareness is probably a non-issue. What's the, what's at issue is research money and, uh, you know, funding for, for finding a cure, prevention, that kind of stuff. That's still extremely important. Not so much important about the awareness. Uh, the little pink ribbon, not doing as much as you think it is. And donating money to services that actually are trying to cure the disease, that is where the action is needed. Uh, and this, this goes for beyond the, the, the web. We actually had someone come in and talk to us about breast cancer here at HowStuffWorks.com, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And she pointed out that the, the whole pink movement is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in the sense that it's a great marketing PR thing where everyone's really aware of it. But it's a curse in the sense that there are a lot of companies that come out that try to take advantage of people by selling these pink items, saying it's for breast cancer research and donating very little or none, no money at all to actual research and either keeping most or all of the profits for themselves. It's the same sort of thing about these little Facebook gestures. They don't ultimately do anything other than have, you know, people be a little playful about what color their underwear is. Um, that's just, I, it upsets me because the effort that people could, that people are putting toward being silly and mysterious and, and flirtatious could ju- be put toward actually doing something actionable that makes a difference. And if you leave Facebook thinking that you made a difference by posting the color of your underwear, um, it's, it's kind of a disservice to the people who are actually struggling with breast cancer. You could instead do something real to help these people. So, um, okay. I think I'm done ranting now. Okay. Uh, that was obviously something I feel strongly about. Apparently. Gotta take a breath. Okay. Think about pie. And now, uh, I wanted to mention also Anonymous. Anonymous. Which has used social networking to get its own message across, uh, mostly through YouTube, mm-hmm. which is in a way a kind of social networking site. Oh, yes, not, absolutely. Not quite the same as Twitter and Facebook. But they've also used other social networking to arrange meetings to do things like protest Scientology, mm-hmm. um, the Church of Scientology's practices, I should say, not the religion itself. That's what they try and make clear anyway in their their videos. Right. But uh, they also tend to use wikis a lot, which is kind of outside of social networking. But they use a combination of those things in order to organize and uh, and take action um, as they see fit. So social networking, we are starting to see it play a larger role within trying to make a difference in the world. Uh, and in some cases, like when we were talking about Haiti, uh, it's helping. But it's mostly, in that case, directing action toward a different link or a different method mm-hmm. to to donate money or whatever. Um, we're not really seeing it to the point yet where social networking itself is making the huge change. But I think that's going to, you know, that, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of, of this year, 2010, if we didn't see an incident that was was greatly impacted and possibly dependent upon social networking. Perhaps. It'll be interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I shudder to think what kinds of events, because well, it seems like they're, it they're could always be good or bad. Yeah. It seems, it seems like a lot of these, uh, the ones that we've talked about have their roots in some 
you know, event that is very, very serious in nature. So hopefully sure. it'll be something really positive and well, happy. I mean, that's the thing is that, yes, the, the event is probably very serious in nature, but the response to the event is often very inspiring. Um, so, I, I mean, I would hate, I hate to see that uh, uh, a tragic event become a necessity in order bef- before you see an inspiring response. I mean, yes, I agree with you there, but I'm thankful that there are people who still respond with such uh, compassion and, and speed to these events. Uh, that actually is very encouraging for someone who, you know, as they get older, it gets a little more cynical. I hadn't it's nice noticed. To be proven wrong once in a while. I hadn't noticed. You hadn't? Okay. Well, if any of you have noticed, you can write me. Uh, actually, you'll write both of us. The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. We'll talk to you again, possibly through social networking, really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the How Stuff Works homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?